Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Jote Moniac, and today we have a returning guest, a special guest, a little bit late. The book has been out for a while, but to help get a feel for the mythic odyssey of Theros, we are going to be doing a divine spotlight on Ferica with Adam Lee, who helped design the original set in Magic and the book itself. But before we get there, we have an iTunes review. This one comes from DM Jeff, entitled Great Variety, five stars. I loved the Ocarina of Time episode. There it is. Thank you, DM Jeff. I also loved that episode, and I love Ocarina of Time. That's it. That's all I got. So without any further ado, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The plate meat's back on the menu, boys. So today for the meat, we are going to talk about, and I am going to stop right there. How would either of you pronounce this god? Oh, I, I feel like I should go first since Adam probably okay. knows how to pronounce it. Uh, I am, let me... I think it's Ferika. I could be way off. I've never actually heard anybody say it. I played a Theros block deck with her in it, but never actually knew how to pronounce it. So am I close? <laughs> close, yes. Okay. Yeah. But that voice you hear, and before we get the answer, is a returning guest. I'm so excited. Adam Lee, the story guy for Dungeons and Dragons, and a world builder for Magic the Gathering. I think one of those worlds happened to be Theros, so he is on because we are definitely going to be talking about a god in this Divine Spotlight episode from Theros. And of course, we'll talk probably a lot more Theros and how that works when we talk about it. So we will defer to you. How would we say this? So I've always said it Farica. However, um, in all things Dungeons and Dragons, there's, uh, and, and well, I guess maybe Magic the Gathering for that matter as well. Um, whatever you pronounce it at your table is correct for you. So, but uh, yeah, when we, when we, you know, came up with that, that character, Farrakha was how we said it. That's just one God. But you heard it, Neil. <laughs> but you heard it. I am right. However, I pronounce it at yes. my table. So. Perfect. Well, Adam, it's been a little bit since you were here last time. So yeah. to start our interview off, we were just, how's it been going? It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been going great. And even with the world changing around us, you know, we, we figured out a way to work remotely and, uh, and the team, you know, maintains contact, you know, we're still plugging away at all our stuff and, and, uh, production is, is chugging away. So, um, yeah. We're all uh, happily working in our own little sort of quarantine zones and uh, making it making it happen. So um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun and you know been of course challenging in some areas and you know but we just uh, keep plugging away and uh, yeah it's been been good. Awesome, sweet. Is there anything currently right now, Adam? I mean, you, you kind of are all over the board working on D and D and magic stuff, and I mean, you've got a lot going on. Is there anything that you're currently working on that you can talk about? Uh, no, not really. Um, and, okay. And I, actually, my magic career uh, ended in 2014. I still do, like, um, you know, I'll still talk to the team and still, you know, available to help out, but. 
Um, I moved from the Magic team to the D&D team back then. So I did a lot of work from like maybe 20, well, let's see, 2010, I came to the to Wizards of the Coast to work for Magic after being a freelancer with them for, for Magic for about five years. And then when I got onto the creative team, I just was in the world building and character development and, and doing some card development and all that stuff and worked with the design teams, which is a lot of fun. Um, and then 2014, I moved over to the D&D team. So um, I guess I should say a former world, world, world builder for Magic. But, uh, but yeah, since then, um, you know, I, they're kind of when we're working on stuff in d and I'll be working on um, I, something will be published that's like this book that uh, I, I did work on. Um, there will be something that I'm currently working on, which will be there's like maybe or one or two products that I've been working on. And then there's products that are, are sort of yet to be. They're kind of in ideation mode at this point. And I can tell you that the one product that's in ideation right now, I'm so excited about it. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. And um, I'm really, uh, I really hope that it all gets greenlit and goes through all the hoops to get to the point where we're actually teeth in working on this thing. It's very exciting, very different. And um, yeah. It's uh, something that I think D&D fans will, will do backflips over. So, cause I'm already doing backflips. So. Well, it kind of <laughs> sounds like we have something else we have to bring you on and for on the future to talk about. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. if it happens, okay, if it happens, I will, be, I will be talking up a storm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also love the idea that that gives us a little more insight on, and as people that interview a lot of people in the industry, I think we, Chris and I and Mitch, have some more insight onto what that production timeline looks like. But I think most people don't. And so then the the idea could be nothing. And that's why no one talks about it. Yeah. Because if the idea gets talked about and then there is just this fever pitch, like you're saying, you're already doing backflips. But there may be a completely reasonable set of events that mean it doesn't come out for three years. Yeah. Yeah. Or four or five. Like they and so if you had announced it early, then it doesn't come to fruition, then you're being raided um because you didn't follow through. So just I'm throwing that nugget out there for all of our listeners that like these timelines are and knowing some people that have done freelancing for you guys, like the timeline as to when they have written something and when that something has come out is is insane. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't see that as the consumer as much. Um but the, those timelines are, are very long. Yeah, I mean, it was the same with uh, when working on Magic and um, you know and and D and D. We're we're working years in advance, and I always used to say to the teams, you know, I was like, well, we should really be doing interviews and talking about this, you know, with people as we're doing it. That way, it's fresh and the and the you know the process that we're working on, the challenges we had, and the things that we're excited about, and then keep it in a can somewhere, and then you know sort of like a you know one of these like cans you bury in the ground and then you know 20 you know 22 we'll time capsule sort of thing yeah yeah time capsule totally but i think just the fear that those things will get released early and just blow the whole you know thing apart um is kind of preventing that kind of stuff i think we'd have to do it internally and keep all that stuff like internally and then release it and i don't think we've ever done that before and i think it would be really interesting to like partner with somebody and, and do that um but uh but yeah we're right here Adam. <laughs> i know we're I, right I, here i'm throwing the hint out to the pr company like if you're listening uh yeah this block would be which cool. they do we all we we send we often send the audio yeah. over after the yeah, fact I but i mean great. 
Yeah. It's because it's like you said, they, the, it's not even really just the freshness because again, using the, eventually we'll talk about this God, but we got, we got more fun (laughs) things to talk about. But the interesting concept that like for the freelancer that I know, she worked on a, a book and it's more fresh for her because that's what she worked on as the, the one D and D book. Yeah. But for you, it's like, I worked on Theros three years ago and I've got like this one that I'm doing backflips over right now. And then I've got this one that I'm working like in yeah. the trenches trying to work and you can get it done. Yeah. Theros. Uh, yeah. Thankfully I also did it on magic so I can remember everything, but yeah. Cause I, you know, after working on Theros, which was your, year or two ago then it was like now i probably worked on four different products all of that are going to be released like bing, 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 bing. Um, because i'll work on you know source book kind of material stuff like things like like you know we have like the the big adventures and then we have like something like xanathars and so i'll be working little bits and pieces on all that stuff and then working on like ancillary products that we have like when we released the dice set for Avernus, you know, that all, there was all this kind of writing in there. And, and so, yeah. Or somebody gets pulled over. Like, I think it was Dan, the Dan Dillon that went over to do the Sapphire dragon for that set of dice. Yeah. And so then now here's a completely different modality and product and everything you're, you're thinking about over here. And uh, now I'm going to go over here and think about this thing. So yeah, you, you know how that, how that goes. And then also like, you know, as a writer, having that initial idea and being super excited about it, and you know, uh, and then wanting to talk about it, but then also not wanting to talk about it to try to keep it close, because that idea kind of generates this sort of internal excitement. And the more I think I found, at least, the more I talk about it, the more kind of it disperses that energy. And then it's like you know, or it could be, or somebody could just say something like, "Ah, that's dumb," or like you know, and then it's like deflate. <laughs> I I think that's true for like just being a dungeon master in general too. Like there's so Mm. many stories and ideas that like, I said this to one of my players last night after we got done playing, I was like, there's so much I want to tell you all. Like there's so (laughs) many things and I don't have anybody to tell it to because then it would ruin (laughs) everything for you or you would think it was dumb or, you know, whatever, you know. Well, and that's what I've seen is like one of the biggest boons for our forums is like that's what people really enjoy in, in the Discord we have is that like I there's someone I can talk to because mm-hmm. for a lot of people being the DM like the people you know play D and D are your players like you don't you, you don't get to talk to them about your story ideas yeah and, oh just like the power of surprise and the power of like that that suspense i mean you know ending when you know you're always trying to end on some kind of cliffhanger something that's pulling at them they're like i cannot wait till next session like can we do it a day earlier you know mm-hmm. and you, you, when you've got that that's uh that's dm gold so, yeah yeah <laughs> well speaking of dm gold i have a surprise question uh for you this one is submitted by dm toadstool and the question is what shoe size would a typical bugbear wear uh, if they wore shoes? And what style <laughs> of shoe would they choose to wear if they wore shoes? Man, like a bugbear, I think, would wear... To put, uh, see, the bugbear I have on my head right now is wearing these really high-end like Italian loafers. Mm. And probably about a size maybe 16 or 17 like wide. The bugbear in my head is pretty stylish and has kind of gone a, a field from being an ambush predator <laughs> and uh, just, you know, wants to bring out that inner style that uh, 
that uh, they're feeling. It's a good vibe for them. There you go. You've heard it first. It might be in a future source book coming near you. Uh-huh. Italian loafers. <laughs> Stalking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, a, or an unearthed arcana. Bugbears. What do bugbears wear? Mm-hmm. There we go. Bugbear fashion. Yeah, bugbear fashion. <laughs> Love it. Love it. First off, I definitely found a super dapper bugbear in my image. <laughs> so uh, I'll share that later. Oh, man. That's great. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, DM Toadstool, for yeah. your support of us and that question. And of course, Adam, for that amazing answer. It was um, quick. So too. we're going to. It was a real quick answer. Yeah. I saw it. It was like, boom. <laughs> it's go. in my there brain. Yeah. Uh, well, this one. Yeah, this one's good. Oh, I'll show it later. Whatever. Um, so we are going to jump into our divine spotlight for Farika. Farika? However you say it at your table is right. And so what I have done is that I personally, knowing how much you both know, I have done no research whatsoever on the topic at hand. Yes. So I want to... I think it's one of the first times with both of you having as much information as you do have that I get to in real time, be a listener. Uh, and, and then, of course, do like what other people do in their car. I can shout at you and it'll actually happen. <laughs> so if you say something crazy, I'll just shout. Um, but the first thing that we want to do is kind of the history and background of this deity. Or, well, actually, Chris, you had mentioned already that you had her in your Theros deck. So, like, wh- how do you see the history and background? Yeah, yeah I loved... Like there was something when I was thinking about getting involved in standard pretty heavily because I just always played with my friend and it was friends and it was like, put whatever cards you want in and like incredibly Mm -hmm. broken decks and like just didn't make sense. And then there was something about standard that was like, okay, this God component is super fun. And like I had built a green black deck because I loved this sort of combination of both like looking to give life. And at the same time, being able to take away life, like that delicate balance between the two. And so I was really bummed that Farika was like in the third block that came out and it took so long (laughs) for I like had this deck and I was the only one that would go to standard play without a God in the deck. And I was like, oh, I'm so sad. Like, but eventually, (laughs) but eventually it will happen and you will all feel the pain of life and death. Like, I think that was and like reading through her section in, you know, the source book that you guys put out, like that was pretty that was that was touched on quite a bit and played off of quite a bit. Like she is in some ways, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the God that like values life and also takes life away in quite a few ways. And like just that kind of delicate balance between the two, it it almost balances out like black is often thought of as like evil and like necromant, like using necrotic magic all the time. And like, didn't really want to delve into that too heavily, but keeping those two things in balance was like, in line with like druidic stuff. And like, there was just so much stuff that was so cool about that delicate balance of green and black that Farika brought to that block that I just loved. It was so much fun uh, to play with. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that kind of came out of, um, so we, when we were generating, we're kind of, you know, we're following Greek myths. And so in the Greek myths, there were the Titans and then the Titans got kind of you know, imprisoned in the underworld. And then from then, you know, gods were born. And, you know, then we had our five main gods, you know, Heliod and Nylea and all Erebos and all the rest. So, and then from those gods, then came the the gods from them. And they're, they're like Afara, Farica, you know, um, Athreos and Keranos and all, all the rest of them. So there's like these tiers of generations 
uh, in, in sort of the Theros, you know, metaphysics. And that's why it kind of staggered it in the blocks, because at, in that point, when we were doing three block sort of sets, we would be, we're staggering out the story. Okay, the first block is the first part of the story, then the second part, and then the third part. And so in the Theros block, it was like, you got your first kind of set of gods, and then you got your your next group and the next group. And so Farika came in the, the later group. But yeah, she is that blend of, of green and black and um, is life and death. And it's sort of like kind of in the same way like Golgari's are. They're, the, they're from the Ravnica. They're, she's like, it's like the, the natural cycle. Like, you know, the tree grows in the forest and, and blooms and, you know, gives like habitat and, and life and you can eat fruit from it and animals will live in it and then the tree falls over and then the decomposers come in and the bugs and beetles and worms and slugs and they all chew it up and yet from there like you know fungi grows out of it and and so there's this weird cycle that nothing really ever dies and, and almost kind of weirdly nothing ever really lives it's it's sort of in this it this continuum so farica kind of embodies that in sort of the theros world and she's kind of you know, ambivalent as to both life and death, like in sort of from a human perspective, it's like life is really great and death really sucks. So, uh, and she's like, nope, it's all one thing. So a lot of like player, like your, your player character is going to sort of worship Farica beyond all others. Um, that player character is going to start to move toward neutral and and might be seen as evil by some and, and might be seen as good by others. So. Um, but really that kind of true neutral of like that they will appreciate the death dealing venom of a viper, but also appreciate like a, uh, a golden apple that will heal you as well. So, and another thing about Farrah is she's kind of in a, in a sort of a battle with Karametra and Karametra is green white. And so Karametra is all about taking nature and understanding it and then controlling it. So, and then creating fields and farms and harvesting and all that. So Karametra is really like beloved by civilization and civilizers and agrarian cultures. Whereas Farika is kind of more in the domain of hunter gatherers and shamans and people who are kind of outside the civilization. They're not really that much interested in like controlling nature, they they feel like nature shouldn't be controlled. It should be just discovered and then utilized. Yeah, and there's that sense of like the chaos that like the followers kind of enjoy, and like it's not necessarily like they get the highs from life and the lows from death. It's like they just enjoy and get like the energy and joy from just watching it all happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a grand discovery. Yeah, you know, the great laboratory of life. Uh, there's all these mysteries. So, and I think. Chaotic neutral, like you, like you were saying, chaotic neutral sounds perfect because, and I think sometimes we'll view chaotic as like an internal thing of the player character, but it could, it, it's also has the ability to be the response to external. And so then you're just taking in whatever you're taking in and you're just going to respond with whatever is happening uh, rather than it's it, like I said, it's the external pressures that that give that chaotic nature, because like you said, mm -hmm. it could be that I take this golden apple or I kill this because it needs to die. Um, and that's just the natural way of things. It also makes me think of the scene out of Avatar mm -hmm. where they kill the creature and then 
the basically return it to the earth mm, yeah not, and and just like yeah it, it's natural like i killed it i need to eat it that that's how it goes rather than that creature would never be in a farm yeah, yeah to a it would just it would just yeah it would just exist and then you got to do your part to find it kill it eat it that kind of thing yeah it's a very fair thing to do you know it's like honoring animals and in the in the the mythic odyssey theros book you know there's a section of you know, piety and, and being able to be a champion of, of Farica and, and what you have to do. And so there is a sort of a list, a bulleted list that we put in there. And it's like saying, here's the things that you can do to gain her favor. And it would be something like that. Like you kill a beast, you eat it, you consume it, you use it to parts, uh, all of it, as much as you can. And then the other part, you kind of either bury or find some way to respect the, you know, respect it and give it, you know, alms to Farica. And then on that piety system that you can either use or not use in the game, um, you can, uh, Farika can give you sort of favors and you can kind of level up as a sort of one of her champions. Mm -hmm. So it's a fun sort of like mini game you can play uh, when you're sort of in world in Theros. Yeah, I think I, I love the idea of having people, whether you, know, you use the same name as Farika or not at the table, mm -hmm. like this idea of players being a bit chaotic neutral not leaning into like the fully evil like just being a murder hobo to be a murder hobo but yeah. like because some of her stuff like i mean champions like one of the things that you guys write is like they're often viewed with suspicion oh yeah because people don't <laughs> under like a majority of the world is good most of the time and like mm. neutral is often i think misappropriated as evil because people that are good don't understand why somebody that's neutral is doing it. They're not seen as like blatantly evil, but they're like, Ugh, do I dare tell this person who has the power to heal that my grandmother is sick? Because uh, mm -hmm. they might come in and be like, well, she's sick and uh, I need to kill her to discover something, you know, like, <laughs> about this, you know? Or they might come in and be like, yeah, I have this, I have this new like blood that I harvested from this beast that has healing properties, you know, and I want to test it out on her. I have no idea if it will work. But yeah. that's the risk that we're going to take, you know, and like if somebody were to come in and say that about my grandmother, they might have every good intention, but I'm but. probably going to err on the side of like, <laughs> I'll probably yeah. go with somebody that I know can actually heal with something proven rather than testing it, you know? Yeah. All the sort of like followers of Farika, they, they have that sort of mystique about them. They, they've gone outside, they're on the fringe because, you know, like in sort of the greek myths there's you know the civilized world and then there's the monsters outside the walls and it's it's that's sort of the the theme of one of the themes of you know greek myths and the further out you go the, the wilder it gets and the idea of the horizon being this sort of unknown zone where you know if we can sail to the horizon we can get to the edge of the world and fall off and then we're in sort of you know some other otherworldly space so there's this idea that farica has hidden secrets of the universe like she's hidden secrets of life and death in the natural world and in the in some of it's in the underworld and that as a follower of therapy you have to be willing to get outside of your nice civilized walls and go into the real wild spaces where the monsters are <clears throat> especially the like the medusas and the giant snakes these are the things that are Farica's like kind of representative of her 
And if you encounter these creatures, then you have to kind of approach them with like the utmost respect, you know, because they're very deadly and they, they have powers that you don't really understand. And, but then also the rest of the world, like you might find a weird tree or a strange vine or a fruit or some kind of plant that you haven't seen before. And then trying it out, like, do I eat it? Do I, you know, burn it and inhale the smokes, you know, like to, to receive visions from Farrakhan and to discover these mysteries about, you know, what your destiny is. You know, that's another thing that DMs can definitely play with is this idea of destiny and that as a hero, you're, you've got your, the heroic sort of impulse is to kind of wake up out of the, the weave of fate. And then once you've kind of woken up out of the weave of fate, then you can, then you can attack your destiny and go see if you can, you can achieve it. Um, and then as, as a sort of, as you're following Farrakhan, she's going to lead you through the laboratory of the, of the world to discover like, what is my destiny? What are these quests that she can give me? And they can come in all kinds of crazy ways. You know? Yeah. I love like my players right now are in this jungle area of the world. And like the, the thing that I'm playing with is there and none of them are listening to this. So they have no idea what, what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> so this is great. But like, I've been toying with that idea since I knew that with this was coming up of like Medusa's being these really powerful healers, actually mm-hmm. of like, awesome. like one of the things that I saw in the source book and I'm looking at it right now is it says like Farica's clerics believe that they are better healers because they are so well acquainted with death. You know, and so like this idea yeah, yeah. of of Medusa's being these really powerful healers uh, in the world, having, you know, you talk about the pools in the source book of like, you might die or you might live going into it, you know, but like players coming and having like the utmost respect for Medusa's or not fully understanding and hearing like this, like ritual uh, or this, this like rumor of these really powerful healers that live deep in the jungles but the only way that you're healed is being brought as close to death as possible, you know? Yeah. Like I think, I think about like, I mean, that's essentially like having somebody in my family who just went through chemo. Like that's, that's essentially what's happening. Like you're being brought as close to death as possible and then being brought back to life, you know? So like, is there this really powerful healer who you might have to risk it all for getting rid of this curse, you know, but no other healer, who doesn't bring you as close to death is able to heal you from it. Like not even a greater restoration spell will work, but you have to maybe either be killed all the way, be turned into stone all the way by this Medusa or whatever it might be uh, in order to be brought back fully to health. Like it's this very like chaotic, neutral sort of thing that it's like your players really have to risk a lot at that point, Mm -hmm. you know, to be willing to either have themselves be healed or somebody else be healed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. I mean, I, I, as you're saying that, I'm like thinking in my head, like, could be this fun moment where you actually, the player has to, you know, the character has to die, and then you've got your death saves. And then those death saves, you're having this sort of ordeal with where Farrakhan mm-hmm. shows up or some kind of spirit or whatever that, you know, is saying, you know, like, you can either come. And the, here's the great thing about this, this setting is that when you die, the game's not over at all. Like there is a whole other world of the underworld that you can go to. And, and as a DM, you can say, that was my intention all along that you're, you are supposed to die and you're supposed to go on this other journey into the underworld where you can have a whole giant adventure down there, uh, super rich. And, you know, you can have the player characters that are still alive. Go, oh my gosh, our buddy just went down to the underworld. Now we've got to go down there and find them. And, 
the person in the underworld can actually give them a shortcut and say, hey, I figured out something now that I'm down here. Here's a quick, you know, then you take your whole thing into the underworld. And, and Farrakhan can for sure be down there, even though it's it's technically the, the layer of Erebos. But Farrakhan and Erebos both share this sort of, like this bond with death. So she's just happy as, as anything being down there. And she could point out, like, say, there's something in the underworld that I need. There is a, as a, there's a plant down there, there's a tree down there, or there's this, this mineral that's deep underground, and you need to get that to bring it out. Oh, so yeah, it's <laughs> but yeah, well, even <laughs> but, yeah. even the intent, the intentionality of it too, because if you had a player that was committed to the idea of Erica and choosing to go to the underworld, yeah, uh, the other the other thing that I thought was. You could also kind of run two groups simultaneously simultaneously at that point. Like, do you have another NPC that could easily easily be taken over by that player? And then now that's the group not in the underworld. And then you have these NPCs that they interact with that your other players could jump into that are in the underworld. And so you could have these wow, two things yeah. that are, are tying back and forth to each other and then um, eventually connect. Also, I love the idea that a cleric of Erica sounds kind of like a modern day doctor mm. that the, and I think that's one thing that we, we don't necessarily think about as much is that like modern day doctors, if you think like in a really intensive ICU, like they see death all the time, oh, yeah. like you know, on a super regular basis. And then, but with that unfortunate circumstances comes a better understanding of life mm. because you're watching it slip through your hands time and time again but then you're also being able to save these other people also i, I immediately thought like house totally yeah. is, <laughs> is uh is tied to fair well, yeah. I, yeah i was thinking too like neil you were talking about that and i was like i mean that's kind of the image that i have of like doctors in the medieval times like the plague doctors right like that sort of doctor who's like you know they did they did all sorts of things trying to figure out how to <laughs> prevent the bubonic plague like yeah. putting leeches on people's bodies, not knowing if that's going to work, bloodletting, like all of these crazy things that we would see now and be like, that clearly doesn't work, you know? But saying like, at that point, like, I feel like clerics of Farica would thrive in moments of like plagues taking over the world. Mm -hmm. Like having no idea, like they modern doctors, like maybe or mo do clerics in the world might not be willing to try things because... Pelor wouldn't let them or whoever wouldn't let them do it because it wouldn't line up with their specific cleric domain. But if you have a cleric of Farica during a plague, they might be the people that do that people are running to because yeah. they've seen. Absolutely. But they might have to subject themselves to a new type of healing or a riskier type of healing that might <laughs> prove to be more beneficial for the masses, you know, like, so I just think like the the players in my world are they don't know this yet, but are fighting to prevent this new era coming in called the blight where the entire world um, just has like, because of this thing that has might happen, just disease riddling, you know, the countryside, like the entire world side landscape, infecting people with these, you know, fungi type things and trying to survive. And like, I'm already thinking like, this is the perfect time to implement those sorts of clerics <laughs> where yeah. like magic or uh, healing is risky because we've never been here before. You know, and, yeah. and clerics of Farica will thrive more than they ever have before because it's, it's almost seen as like this like uh, dangerous magic when everything is fine. But when things aren't all fine, it's seen as like the only possible chance for life. You know, and it's weird how those yeah. things can switch so quickly in moments of of uncertainty or great peril, you know, and yeah, that's kind of I mean, that's kind of Farica in a nutshell, like 
that that kind of counter that balancing swinging back and forth mm-hmm. yeah it's it's the drive you know it's like the, the closer somebody gets to death you know the the more intense life becomes and uh you know that drives that person to new understandings new ways of looking at the world new ways of appreciating you know what the this this plane is so they're you know farica loves to you know meddle with that and you know farica looks at humanity as an experiment like she doesn't even fully know like she has her secrets that she's put into the and seeded into the world but the fates are weaving the the fate of the world and and the destiny is is actually is happening and it's a veil that that people have a hard time seeing beyond i mean some some oracles can do it they can kind of predict sort of like we see how the fates are weaving the threads and we kind of feel that that thread might go here but it might not but here's a cryptic message that says what we think or what we're seeing in our sort of vision so and farica is looking at this like what happens when human like a human being finds that animal and then you know finds out that it's it's a liver does some kind of you know it has a healing property to it she's like oh i didn't, I didn't know that that's interesting you know it's like she's like a, a master scientist and theros is just this giant sort of experiment so um so at the same time that farrakhan knows a lot of stuff there's also things that she's delighted in and she's willing to sacrifice anything to understand more that if it if, if one of her sort of uh adherents you know needs to like like you've got to jump into that flaming pit to discover a thing for me then they'll go and do it and she yeah. won't have to blink an eye about it and perhaps it's because that there is an underworld and that life really in in its ultimate sense doesn't end in on theros the way it does in sort of like in another say universe or whatever but i just i just think like an opportunity for your players too who might be like neutral good clerics or whatever i think them coming up against and actually seeing healing that works in a different way than they've totally understood it like that's a huge opportunity for character development to be like whoa that makes sense i feel very troubled in my spirit that i shouldn't (laughs) be doing this but it worked (laughs) you know yeah i mean any death domain life domain knowledge domain cleric uh they cannot deny the efficacy of barica's sort of pharmacopoeia you know like you know her stuff works like there's no doubt and even though it's not divine technically divine magic the way clerics you know sort of in, in other worlds operate and on another sense it is like the the divinity that you know these gods you know the world evolved out of these gods or the you know it was created these gods even evolved out of this world it's like it's all this sort of divine energy of theros so those clerics when they see that stuff they're going to be like wow you know maybe i do want to look into farica and and that's one thing that um, ari levich and i have chatted about and his he brought up this point that was kind of interesting and i think it's really relevant is that uh that light greek mythology like a, a person in, in ancient greece didn't worship just one god and was like i'm a zeus guy all the way um they worshiped the whole pantheon <laughs> you know and and likewise in theros it's set up to that you you kind of want to push all in with a god but it would be fun to have like either the piety system or or just generally, I don't know, kind of homebrew it from there to say, how is it that, you know, like I can I can worship the whole pantheon and try to appeal all of them. Um, and as I become more and more of a champion 
things kind of get crystallized. And so as I get higher level, gods might start to vie for my, you know, to use me as a pawn in their master game. And I might start to resist against the gods, like, you know, you know you're not the boss of me kind of deal. So there's this like sort of push pull between as you, as you know, a player gets higher level between the gods sort of like there's a blip on the right their radar and then all of a sudden the character gets high enough level and then the gods are like oh now i want to take control of that yeah um, and i think that's a fun thing as a dm to play with as your players kind of evolve and grow in, in the theros world yeah i mean that that's like uh, that idea of having the gods start to pay attention to your characters like that might actually be a driving factor of Ferica of like i want my mm -hmm. clerics to be noticed by the other gods because that's how i discover more of the things that even i don't have you know yeah information about or knowledge about because they might learn something from uh erebos or thasia or you know whoever that she would have not been privy to uh in yeah. any way shape or form before they started to be noticed by these other gods and it might be like this almost like double agent sort of thing. Like Ferica is the God who's like whispering in one ear so that they can talk to the other gods and get the information that they need uh, yeah. to continue some of these things, you know, like that sort of sliminess uh, in a way <laughs> kind of feels right up that alleyway. Yeah. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, when, when Neil texted me and was like, Hey, what, what we're, we're going to have Adam on, like, what do we want to talk about? I was like, this is the God that I want to talk about. Cause she's <laughs> awesome. She's so cool. She's so cool. Yeah. There's a there's a a fun thing about um, the world of Theros is that that the gods are are there because people believe in them and the worst thing that can happen to a god is to be forgotten if, mm. if the if the people forget a god that god actually disappears from existence and and disappears from Nyx and kind of falls out of the pantheon and then a new thing arises in that place so gods are constantly in Theros are constantly vying for like that attention. So it's it's interesting to keep that in, in mind as a DM of like that's the motivator behind the gods. And so when you were talking about if clerics of Farica show up and start healing people, and then it's like everybody's like, oh my god, there's this plague, but these these clerics of Farica came in, they're healing people, and now everybody wants to worship Farica. The other gods might be like, oh my gosh, we gotta stop this. Like we gotta do something to either foil her plan or make the plague worse, and so it doesn't work anymore. Like. The gods will try to like block her from getting way too much popularity. Well, and if they if they try to make the plague worse, that might actually be what Farica wants because then they're breaking all Perfect. sorts of allegiances, yeah, and now oh. they're having to delve into <laughs> the realm of death when they normally wouldn't. I yeah. mean, see, she's just perfect. Like she's she's got one she's, step ahead. Yeah, yeah she's always oh, one step ahead. That's fun. That's the that's the joy of the neutrality because that could be like there could be no hand that she's actually playing. Like the idea that like, okay, sure. Get in. Yeah. Like, come on, mess with it. Like, I mean, we're going to, we're all going to learn something at the end of this story. Yeah. And the, yeah. the idea of just allowing that in, interaction because there's something that's going to come of it. No matter, no matter what deity steps in and what God messes with this, that, or the other, she'll, she is still going to take something away. Yeah. It, it almost yeah. feels like she's the person that's arguing the other side just for argument's sake to help like, awaken somebody's <laughs> mind to a different way of thinking you know it drives all of yeah. us nuts sometimes in arguments and conversations but like she kind of feels like that uh yeah with her with her clerics and stuff so okay something else that she feels like that i have to talk about <laughs> oh. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> so if you so because one of the other questions we have is the idea of how do you add Therica to your game? And I think we've done a really great job of adding Therica to a game in Theros because we've talked a lot about how she interacts with some of the other gods, how she can interact with your players and other PCs. But what if it was a homebrew world? And my my first mm-hmm. thought is because I'm currently playing a Shatter Kai who has connections to the Raven Queen. I think this would be a great replacement. Because there's a lot of things that cross over, but in a very different way. Because even if we go back to the idea of the colors of a green-black deck, um, whereas the Raven Queen feels more like a black-black deck. Uh, (laughs) But the idea of adding that in is a different way to have a lot of the same conversations, but in a bit of a more colorful way that was that was one of the thoughts like if i was going to make a homebrew world looking at a pantheon and trying to plug in plug and play the pieces that i would want pulling out the raven queen and putting in that's interesting yeah that's cool yeah i mean that that's essentially what i'm doing like i didn't have a god like this in the world and when we were talking about it it was immediately like yeah just slot ferrica in like it's super easy to do that that sort of thing you know and like i think that's the beauty of D. like the source books are amazing i have so many of them but like I run all of my stuff out of a homebrew world and it's super easy to just yeah. be like, okay, I can, I can take this and just rebrand it. Like everything from this source book, I could very easily take and pick apart pieces of it. You know, like if I want to have healing pools, like it talks about in the book, like I can just put those in there. I don't even have to have a God attached to them. They're just really weird places that nobody fully understands, you know, or you can go as far as like, I'm just going to take everything and just slot it in perfectly right there, you know? Um, yeah. I think that's the beauty of D&D is you can just pick and choose what you want if you're doing a, a homebrew sort of campaign. Yeah. I mean, when, when, I'm, when I'm writing books, I love creating modular, these modular sections like that. Because I, you know, I'm, I'm, as I'm writing it, I'm like, oh, I just know somebody's going to read this and just say, I want that and just put it over there as, as a thing to, to play with. And it's, it's uh, I know, you know, Perkins was talking about that, you know, these things are like toy boxes. So we're just creating a toy box and you just open up the box and you're like, oh my gosh, there's all these cool toys I can play with. Like, it's like the the old Legos, you know, like you can just like pull out this cool Lego thing that you pre-built and just like, oh, that's a cool little house. I'm just going to put that there. And then I found this other thing. And yeah. And I think on some, you know, some, you know, we're, we're trying to build things for like all the, the ways that people play with the products. Like, um, some people love the idea of like getting the whole thing and going from start to the end and playing the whole thing through. And I think probably the majority are having their homebrew world and pulling pieces and parts out. And uh, and that's how I used to play, you know, and still do. It's like, I mean, I haven't played as much as I used to because, oh my gosh, yeah. So, but... <laughs> Well, I mean, it ties really exact, I think, very closely to how we see this podcast in a lot of ways in that, like, we'll always espouse the idea of a homebrew world. I would even go so far as to say the second you do anything, even if it's a published setting, it becomes a homebrew world because you've adjusted it because it's your table and your players. But the idea that your entire world can be that way. But look to these look to these books that are being produced because like the design space that's happening is really good and just take everything you want and honestly get some ideas of what you don't like yeah because there's something to be said about looking at the piety system and then well i'll just throw it out there as as a base concept i like it but someone also could be like this sucks yeah i don't want anything to do with it but you also again even going back to the idea of erica you learned something 
That's the whole point yeah. is that you went through this, you went through this book and you're like, you know what? This doesn't work for me and my table, but this gives me all these great ideas on how I would want to implement something like piety yeah. at my table. And that's why just read more books. Everyone. <laughs> I, if I don't say it enough, just read more books. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you could take like the, just even the, the booms from piety and just say, I'm going to throw out the whole piety thing, but I'm going to keep those booms. Yeah. And sort of like, hey, you some, did something good for Farrakhan. And she comes down and says, all right, now you can cast rave enfeeblement, you know. Well, it's the same idea as, yeah, it's the same idea of like, I went through this encounter. There's this level of players and it was the CR monster. And this is the number of XP or milestone. Mm-hmm. You could do the same thing with piety where you're like, mm, you could, I could track your score, but once you do this, which I know that that's kind of what we're all working towards yeah. as players and a group, then you'll get that. Um, so yeah, basically, yeah, taking the boons and making it miles, milestone piety, right? That. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are there other deities that you that you both can think that would replace or that she would interact with because that's another fun conversation to have is if i put her somewhere because we talked about working kind of alongside Erebos. is there another deity good like either conflict or work alongside yeah she can um well the conflict for sure is karametra who's Karametra and afara are both kind of linked together because they're the sort of civilizer gods and they they're the ones who, uh, far as like sort of the builder of the polis and uh, the, the big cities of Theros. And she's far as the one who's trying to bring wisdom and democracy and education and languages and, and, you know, philosophy all to the people and sort of raise them up out of this sort of what she would say is like a, a lesser state. Like she's trying to like bring this sort of divine idea of like living together in harmony. And, and Karametra is the natural sort of counterpart to that, like without agriculture and without sort of building a way to feed large populations that civilization couldn't happen. So, so Afar and Karametra are both kind of working together, but Farika would be like, you know, to Karametra, like you're controlling nature, you're cutting it off and 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 if afara looked at our you know current thing with like monoculture and just like big giant agribusiness and all that she would freak out and be like, oh my god you're you're messing with sort of the natural world care or uh, farica can also hook up well with Erebos, but she can also work up well with nylea who is sort of the the mono green god she's the one who is the lord like the lord of all the forests and all the the beasts and like she's the great hunter so nylea is the one who is sort of the elder god and she has created all this like this greenery and so she's the one who's kind of seeded up our playground or character's playground so nylea and 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 uh like it could be that say farica is like you've got to go to either a great temple of Nylea, or you've got to go to Nylea herself and find out a mystery that, or, or or you have to find a great beast that Nylea is like one of Nylea's champions. And you have to either steal something from it, or you have to entreat it and have it give you like, it can either like give you a drop of its venom, or it can give you a quill from its, you know, one of its feathers or something like that. So that could be a way that sort of, Farica and Nylea can interact in a game um, because, you know, the gods, while they are connected, they don't all necessarily get along. And 
if when they do get along, it's it's for a moment, and then they do something to make each other mad, and then they they argue and fight. And some gods are just way worse at getting along than other gods because they're opposed, just like sort of fundamentally. But yeah, it's that would be sort of the ones off the top of my head is like how that could work. Yeah, and so thanks for the top of your head. It made me think of other ways and other gods because the idea that Farica, let's say I placed her in the world, would have some dealings with Vecna because oh. part of Vecna is the evil secrets yeah. and being willing to do, and this goes into that chaotic neutrality of just like, well, Vecna has this secret that I want and need. Uh, so I'm going to do what it takes. Like I'm going to interact and engage with Vecna to try and obtain the secret or even ask the players to do that kind of thing. Man, and then the great. other thought was, was Obed high and, and dealing with the green and, and nature and like fostering these relationships back and forth because of being both at the same time. Whereas one is completely this, the other is completely that. And then figuring out how that, like whatever your pantheon looks like interacts together. Yeah. And then, of course, if like Farica and Vecna start to interact, you know, Vecna, of course, is, is going to try to, you know, win everything and take all the marbles home. And then, you know, depending on how that balance starts to happen, that's going to bring in somebody like Mordenkainen, who's who's always on the lookout for imbalances in, in, in the multiverse. And so you're, you then have this big, massive wizard showdown. Which always ends well for everybody. <laughs> it's always a mess. And it's great because, yeah, you just pulled a, a, a god from the Theros pantheon, but then you kind of brought in two sort of old school D&D gods. And now you've got this, like, how did the character, the player characters interact with that kind of a mess, you know? And they might be getting approached by Mordenkainen or Charica and, and, you know, Vecna. I mean, if anybody wants to try to, Batch in with Vecna, man. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. That usually doesn't end very well, but um, but yeah, it, that would be a really interesting, like you know, Morgan kind of being sort of like Morgan kind of kind of. Mm, I don't know who he wrap up with in Theros, but you know, there's there's sort of like the wizard god um, Karanos. I think Karanos is a little bit more sort of wild and um, you know, fighty than than Morgan Morgan more of a like a a watcher and a plotter and a, you know, calculator, but Karanos is definitely, um, a thinky God and, uh, but is known just to hurl some thunderbolts when things get kind of crazy. So, uh, yeah, that's fun. Which goes back to that one guy that I'm still a fan of and I can't get out of my brain. I'm all in on Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm all in Zeus. Here we go. Oh, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Big fan. Of, right after big fan of that on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, awesome. So the other thing that we have that we often give out to our listeners is homework, which obviously it's the best kind of homework. It's reading, it's watching, it's um, interacting with media to get a better idea of either Farica or gods in Theros. Um, so yeah, do we have any media that we think others can should consume to get a better idea of what we've been discussing? Yeah, I think, you know, watch uh, any of the D&D Beyond stuff that was done about the, the mythic Odysseys of Theros. We'll give you an idea of just sort of what the book's about and, and how to how to work it in your world. And there's probably tons of ideas that we talked about on those, those podcasts. Of course, uh, if you want to watch like Clash of the Titans, the 1981 version, that can give you the sense of like, you know, just how the Greek gods meddle with one another. It, you can watch Jason and the Argonauts, which is fun. Harryhausen um, animated, you know, characters and stuff like that. It's, it's really cool. 
if you want to get really turbo, you can read the Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, mm. That is good on, on many levels, um, but giving the idea of heroes, gods, demigods, how it all interacts, how it all plays together, how the Greek mind thought in that time, what was important to them, the idea of oracles, like that's one thing we maybe didn't touch on in this, but oracles are a huge part of the Greek sort of mythic structure and they're great for games. Um, the idea that an oracle goes missing and your characters have to go find that oracle. An oracle um, suddenly starts to say things that kind of go counter to what your god is 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 wanting to hear. Um, uh, somebody kidnaps an oracle. Uh, an oracle. So all that oracles are, are really fun to play with. Or an oracle gives you a, a, a you know their vision and it puts you on a quest. So. But yeah, reading the Odyssey would be good. I I tried to watch rewatch the TV series a while back, and it didn't really hold up. So <laughs> I don't recommend that. Also, there is a cool uh, series on Amazon Prime called The Great Greek Myths, and it's sort of uh, it's really fun, and I, I recommend that as well. Of somebody who wants to just kind of get an overview, of like kind of how Greek myths were told, and there's a lot of fun ideas in there just to throw in your own game. I remember there was also a fun, like, just for Farica, I remember watching a show called The Nick, and it was about turn-of-the-century surgeons, and it was kind of based on, you know, actual real-world sort of surgeons that were, at that time, trying to figure out, like, they were coming out of this sort of, I don't know, like, thinking about the ether and just humors and all this stuff, and they were getting more scientific. They're like, we've got to, like, observe and look at this body and how it works and you know there's a little bit of like moving out of the frankenstein age where they're like shooting with electricity and it's it's a it's an interesting on that level i enjoyed that show just to see like wow we we, we medicine came from this like this idea of experimenting on people i think you were chris you were talking about that earlier just like you know how farica's clerics could just be experimenters they're just like oh maybe this will mm -hmm. work and oh hey they learned. Yeah, great. great. <laughs> yeah, that worked. <laughs> Look yeah. what we learned. Yeah. And so a lot of this, like they would have these operating theaters where they would sit the, the person who's suffering in agony on the table. And then people are looking around. They're like, well, we're just going to cut into this guy. He's going to die if we don't. So we're just going to do it. You know, they were just kind of these volunteers out of, you know, necessity. These people were just like, oh, I'm in agony. You've got to help me. And they're just like, well, we're going to put you on a slab. We're going to experiment because we don't know what's wrong with yeah. you. We really don't until we cut you open. And oh man, it's 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 rough. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think uh, you know, I, I, yeah, Great Week Myths on Amazon Prime is really good. So check it out. As mentioned before, there's a lot of story that goes into Magic: The Gathering. I think um, mm. if you're on the outside looking in, that's probably not what you would think. That super great art, awesome cards. Yeah, and then that's that. I, ugh, this pun sounds terrible, uh, but that's not the end of the story. <laughs> um, but there's a lot that goes into it. Just a quick Google search. And I have multiple like large articles from like seven, six, seven years ago about the journey into Nyx uh, involving Farica, different secrets that she's hidden in Basilisk blood that mm -hmm. most, and quote, most people die trying to figure out. Uh, <laughs> of course they do. Uh, but so there's a lot that is already there on the back end, uh, even before Mythic Odysseys of Theros. So yeah, the back of the old magic machine, man, that there's a lot of stuff online. There's 
I mean, um, you can type in like Planeswalker Guide to Theros, um, that the the little booklets that came out of the fat packs. Oh, those are the best. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so probably I probably wrote one or two of those myself, and I'm sure Doug <laughs> and Jenna pitched in as well, as you know, because those were the ones who me, Doug, Byer, Jenna Hill, and, and Brady Donnermuth, Richard Witters. We were kind of the core creative team. Jeremy Jarvis. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, that was, those, was, those were the good old days, but yeah, I, I wrote some articles, um, in uncharted realms, the magic, uh, the gatherings, um, uh, sort of story site when it was first starting. Um, I wrote a few articles about Theros. I wrote one about Afara and her champion. Um, and I wrote another one about a, a hero on his you know, quest and a satyr that interacts with him. Um, so just fun little stories, but it gives ideas about like, just sort of the vibe and and how you can kick off a, an adventure. So yeah. Well, Adam, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure. Uh, it was fun being able to geek <laughs> out and nerd out with you over some of this stuff. Is there are there or are there places that people, if they want to get in touch with you about some more of this stuff, are there ways that people can get in touch with you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you can do do it through Twitter. Uh, I'm still sort of. Tentatively on Twitter and off Twitter because I mean sometimes I'm just like ah oh, doom scroll doom yeah it's just like but when I'm on there um, and if you have a question uh, it's at Adam of Adventure um, so and I I love questions and um, but if I don't get back to you right away it's because I'm taking a Twitter break so. <laughs> And yeah, you know, any once COVID ends and, and you know I can get out in the world, then yeah, you just bump into me and, and come come to Wizards, the building. Yes, <laughs> ask to see Adam one day. Yeah, just say I want to see that guy. I'm like, all right, we'll come down. Yeah, what are you doing? yeah. <laughs> that's great. Awesome. Well, well, as like Chris said, thank you for coming on, and hopefully we'll have you again. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's a total pleasure uh, talking with you guys and. Uh, yeah, I love your podcast. Great stuff you do. And um, keep up the amazing uh, goodwill. We just want to thank Adam again for coming on and talking to us all about Verica and learning how to add her to your games. If you want to tell us about how you've added Verica or any of the other gods from Odyssey at Theros or just in general, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you see fit, Head on over to iTunes and leave us a review, but even better, tell a friend. Just go tell someone about the podcast. That's the way to do it. Grassroots. Let's go. And of course, if you want to follow us on the social of medias, you can always do so on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. Or you can like us on Facebook. As always, the Dungeon Masters block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Geek Wars, Detentions and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, and more. As always, we want to thank you for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. Good night and good luck, and keep on Dungeon Mastering. It's not inspiration, it's not wisdom, and it's bad advice. At the end of every session, let your players know what their piety score is with you, the DM.
goodbye.